Welcome to the Tenuous Links Podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons, welcome to another Tenuous Links Golf Podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Be sure to sign up at golfbarons.com. Now today, Philly and I have a very special guest on the show. No, it's not Kipper, but someone even more impressive. Today's guest has had a jam-packed life from serving as an assistant White House press secretary in the George W. Bush administration, to becoming the co-founder and CEO of Marucci Sports, to now heading up LA Golf Partners, makers of LA Golf Shafts as its chairman. He's done all that and plenty more, and he's not yet 45. He's a businessman, a forward thinker, a risk taker, and of course, a golf tragic. Without further ado, let's welcome to the show all the way from the City of Angels, Los Angeles, Mr. Reid Diggins. Reid, welcome to Tenuous Links. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Excellent. It's, it's great to have you here. Philly, I know you're particularly excited about having Reid on the show. I am because there's lots of questions. There's lots of techie questions and people who try and, uh, I guess, disrupt the the market and, and with a background in disrupting the baseball market moving into golf. I'm interested in what the learnings are, what you can apply uh, and everything else. So, so Reid, we do have a bit of a, a diverse range of questions for you, but we'll try not to confuse you too much. No problem. I'm ready. Let's fire, fire away. So first of all, we like to talk about people's connection with the game itself um, and just how you got into golf initially, how, how you were introduced to the game, um, who introduced you, I guess. You know, it's interesting. I um, played a little bit as a kid, but but was mainly um, uh, I wasn't really allowed to play much because I was supposedly going to mess up my baseball swing. And obviously, I went on to have an amazing baseball career. No I'm kidding. Um, so when I was uh, probably 23, 24 years old, I was working for George W. Bush, and he, he called me at home on a Sunday and said, "Hey, um, are you any good at golf?" And I said, I hesitated. And he said, "Well, can you play fast?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, get up here." And so all of a sudden I was playing, teeing off. About an hour later, I, I remember walking through the White House with my clubs and putting them in the back of the beast, the presidential limousine, and, and kind of having this surreal feeling that I was about to be a part of his foursome. Usually I was usually I was rounding up the cameras and the, and the media and the press pool. And so all of a sudden I was playing in the president's foursome. And so as I teed off that day in front of about 30 cameras, I realized that I should probably take the game more seriously. It was probably <laughs> beneficial to my career. Uh, and I... I drop kicked a shot um probably about 190 yards with my driver down the middle but i don't think any of the reporters knew the difference and uh, i just remember that day thinking that i needed to start learning the game more so from that point forward i started trying to play more and more and uh, i've been playing ever since now we've got uh, one of our business partners uh, kipper is awesome at name dropping but i think you've just put him to shame because it's going to be very difficult for him to he can drop tiger woods all he wants but I think playing golf in the president's force might be winning at this stage. Can you remember your first birdie and the celebration? <laughs> I actually um, putted, putted one in off the green from you know about 20 feet off the green and it hit the pin going way too fast and went in. And I remember, I remember feeling a little guilty about it. And, and that was the first time someone taught me about validating that you don't get your birdie money until you par, unless you par the next hole. Well, thank God that rule's not here. What was it about golf that got you hooked? Um, you know what? I, I really love the, the, the strategy, right, of working your way, thinking your way around the course, right, and, and uh, not 
not trying to hit the, the shot that you think you can hit or hope you can hit, but the shot that you should hit. Are you able to hit those? No, sometimes. I, I'm, I'm, I'm disciplined about half the time. Very good. Now, you, you mentioned you mentioned President Bush. He obviously um, has a long storied connection to golf uh, through his father and grandfather and, and that Walker Cup connection. Playing with him, I mean, I can't think of a better uh, introduction to the to the game, <laughs> at a, especially at, at that sort of level. Was there anything that he taught you that has stayed with you um, throughout your golf uh, since then? Um, don't don't ever make people wait. Don't slow people down. That was it. he was he was really big on 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 playing ready golf, and it's actually a really useful lesson, especially for business golf. So he he, he wasn't a good golfer at the time when he was president. He was probably an eighteen handicap, and his post presidency he's got himself down to around a five handicap. Uh, so it wasn't really any golf lessons. A lot of kind of more business courtesy, business etiquette lessons. Lessons. I suppose with that connection, there, do you, do you think there is a place for politics in sports? You've been in both the political sphere. You've been in you're in the sports uh, sphere as well. Do you think there's a place for politics in sport, or should sports stay out of politics? Um, and I'm sort of playing off that that you know that famous quote that Michael Jordan quote of Republicans buy sneakers too. Should sport be used, I guess, as a unifier rather than a divider, in your opinion? Or is there a place for both? I don't think it's all or nothing. I don't think it's mm. that all athletes should stay out of politics or that all athletes should have a you know take a stand in politics. I think it's really a self awareness exercise. Um, you know, some people naturally have a voice, uh, and I think their their fan base uh, want to hear from them on certain topics. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't mean they want to hear them on all topics. Yeah. And then there's and, and, and so I think it's a self-awareness exercise of a should you speak into politics, right? It's like it's like veering over into the oncoming traffic on the interstate, right? Um, and one, number one is should you veer into that lane? And number two, if you are going to speak into politics as an athlete, uh, are you going to go outside the scope of what your fans actually really want to uh, what you have credibility on? And I think the truth of the matter is most entertainers and act actors, celebrities and athletes don't really have a lot of self-awareness on what on what their voice should be speaking to. I mean, LeBron James mm -hmm. is a perfect example. Yeah. Um, occasionally he, he speaks out on on things that I think are appropriate. And then I think about 80 percent of the time he speaks out when nobody gives a shit. You know? yep. <laughs> now, what about moving on to uh, your a real passion? So L.A. Golf, <clears throat> which is the reason we've we've got you on with L.A. Golf. Shafts, is this purely a business or are you working with a passion? Is this one of your first chances to work and match passion and business? Uh, it's a great question. It absolutely is a passion. Um, I, When we built a baseball bat company, uh, we had had a very successful run. It took a little longer than planned, but we had a successful run. And I was sitting on vacation uh, with my family in the, in the desert. And I went on GoDaddy.com and I bought the name LA Golf for about ten dollars. Uh, and I had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew that I wanted to work in golf. One of the jokes I make often is that I I owe everything in my life to politics and baseball, and I don't like politics or baseball. So I just really <laughs> wanted to work in a space where I enjoyed uh, enjoyed every day, and and that was three years ago. And I've I've really enjoyed every minute of it. What was the what was the the gap that allowed you to move in? I mean, you started with the GoDaddy.com. URL, but what was the what was the gap uh, that was left for you to move in, and why was it left? Initially, I was trying to um, buy a software, uh, a, a golf simulator software company, uh, but it, 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 we didn't get the deal done. Uh, we did not get the deal done, and in the process, uh, a court-appointed receiver, uh, a shaft company, uh, what used to be Matrix, was going through a kind of a bankruptcy process, and the judge called me and said, "Hey, I think this is a lot like your baseball bat company." 
uh, the court appointed receiver. I'm sorry, not the judge. So I think this is a lot. Mm-hmm. Same materials. It's American made. Very similar story to what we had at Marucci. Um, and it's American made. Uh, but but when I wasn't buying the company, I had no interest in buying the company. So I just bought the assets, the equipment, and hired the top engineers in the industry and partnered with Bryson DeChambeau and really built the intellectual property, designed the product, and built the company from scratch over the last three years. Why was the gap left that allowed you to walk through it? Well, in the shaft space, no one's really innovated. Uh, the club manufacturers have brainwashed the industry for the last 40 years that the club head matters. Uh, and the club head uh, actually hit a technology ceiling probably over a decade ago. Um, the, you know, TaylorMade, uh, Callaway, Ping, Tylus, they all make very high quality products. But the, the, the differences are just fractional. Um, and so the shaft is really the one place that you can get a material demonstrable improvement in your ball flight, your spin, and your, your carry. Uh, and really, everyone's been machine making and mass producing uh, shafts in China and Mexico for 40 years. Uh, and so we had an opportunity to take out a blank sheet of paper. And uh, our engineer and Bryson DeChambeau came up with an idea to design a shaft from the midsection out. Uh, so that it could make a, instead of, usually golf takes an athlete and makes them more mechanical and how they have to worry about tempo. Uh, and instead, we built a shaft that the harder you swing, the more the club face corrects on impact. And so um, it, it really allows a golfer to become more athletic as opposed to an athlete to become, have to become more mechanical. Mm-hmm. Is the educating of consumers about the importance of the, of the shafts and the performance of the shafts, is that one of the more challenging aspects for you guys is that kind of the, the trickiest um message i actually it? think we're in a information renaissance uh you know you, there's a few things that happened in the last few years uh that made the shaft relevant almost overnight and uh, even mm-hmm. common 18 handicaps in middle america know how important the shaft is for the most part now i would say number one club fitters got private equity money right so club fitters went from being mostly mom and pop outfits all of a sudden several club fitter chains got private equity money and so that the that all of a sudden there's a location in every city and they have television they have they have budget for television advertising right uh, the second thing that happened is that uh launch monitor and simulator companies got private equity money so they started being able to advertise and now you know a 21 handicap in middle america can buy a $25,000 GC quad from Foresight, right? And so you've got uh, club fitters on every corner with, that are advertising. You've got launch monitors in every basement and living room of everyone building a new house in America, it seems like, sometime. And and then and then thirdly, um, you have Bryson DeChambeau and some of these young players coming along uh, that they don't want to they don't want to try to land their drive in that skinny little landing strip between the bunkers. They wanted to go past that. And so uh, when you're looking for inefficiencies in the golf game, the, one of the primary inefficiencies was the shaft. Uh, the, the, the club head is efficient. It's hit a technology ceiling. Um, and so, you know, there's another two inches in the shaft. You know, everyone's swinging a 45 and a third, a 45 and you know, three quarters inch shaft when really you can go up to 48. Uh, and there's also, uh, we, we build it from the midsection out where you can swing a lot harder and you don't have to worry about the club loading and the club head catching up with your swing, which is almost every terminology you hear from every golf lesson from the last five decades comes from shitty shafts, right? The reason why every golf pro tells you to swing smooth and swing 80% and, and you know, let the club head, you know, your hands, and all those slow hands and all this terminology just comes from the fact that shafts are rolled like an ice cream cone and you have to wait for the club head to catch up with, the, with your with your swing. And so we built a, we built a product that allows... Uh, 
players to, to really go after the ball. Tiger's always said that you should swing as hard as you can without falling over. But the problem is the equipment did not allow that until we built mm. the show. And Nicholas, Nicholas was the same in golf my way. I mean, Nicholas referred to that, you know, learn to hit it hard and then worry about where it's going from there. So what I'm hearing a lot of uh, here, Reid, is that you're telling us it's actually possible to give Phil, who is the world's tallest short hitter, a respectable distance off the tee. Uh, is, that, is, is this it's true? unfair. Surely not. We could probably add 10 to 15 yards of carry. So you could double his distance. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> he's, he's, that's why it, it shattered me when you said you, you sculled one 190 yards playing with the president because that's me bombing one. Anyway, we'll move on from that. What's the, what's the holy grail for a golf shaft or a graphite shaft specifically? I think the holy grail is getting as close as you can get to 48 inches, getting as stiff as you can possibly get with the, with the midsection of the shaft, and being able to swing as, as hard as you can without and actually decreasing your dispersion. There's, we kind of accomplished, so speaking of the Holy Grail, Joda Begay on the Golf Channel actually actually referred to our shaft as the Holy Grail. He said, because we accomplished two things that no one's ever accomplished. Uh, one is typically when you go stiffer with a shaft, it means you go heavier. We actually built a shaft that is significantly stiffer than anything in the history of the tour, but it's lighter. That And that ranges from the way we roll it by hand. We don't mass produce stock shafts. We only make aftermarket shafts by hand in America. So it, it starts with our process. It starts with improvements in material sciences uh, and obviously the, the design structure. Uh, so, And then the second thing we did that no one's ever accomplished is that we were able to add 10, 12, 13, 15 yards of carry uh, to golfers and actually decrease their dispersion. Typically, if you add distance, you increase dispersion. Uh, a good example, everyone loves to talk about Bryson and, and uh, we have you know Dustin Johnson and Bryson and Ricky Fowler and a lot of these players using our driver shaft. But the, my favorite story is Jason Duffner because no one would ever accuse him of being an athlete. Uh, he had averaged about 286 yards off the tee for his whole career. He averaged about 286 yards. We, we custom built him a, a, a driver shaft built from the midsection out uh, we iterated with him five or six times on it, and he added 16 yards of carry for the entire next year. Wow. And if you think about how efficient a, a PGA Tour player's swing is, there's not a lot of room to improve their swing. So that was clearly the improvement in the shaft. Is the approach for LA Golf similar to Marucci in that you're trying to get buy-in from the players? One of the great successes of Marucci was was getting buy-in from the elite baseballers, and that's how you built it, and that was your intention. Is the intention with LA the same Correct. Yeah, almost this is really Marucci 2.0. You know, with, with Marucci, we got over 40, 45 players invested in the company. We were the only major brand in any major sport that did, did not pay a player. Uh, we, we became the number one bat from Major League down to Little League, and we never paid a player. Uh, but the problem is, uh, out of those 45 players, probably only five of them were useful strategically to our company. So one of the, mm -hmm. one of the things I learned as an adult, uh, I was very young when we started Marucci, is that I really only needed a few players. So we have... We're going to have three or four partners. Um, Bryson helps us with design. Uh, we're starting to work with two or three of the other top players in the world. Uh, one of the top players in the world is about to join our board of directors. And uh, so, yeah, it's definitely like Marucci. The difference is, is this: these, these, uh, the market's three times larger than baseball bats. Our gross margins are two times better. Uh, we're we're profitable faster. Uh, so this is this is like Marucci, but I've made it a little more of a, a opt, I've optimized the model. Was there anything technical that can be applied from uh, Marucci or from baseball to golf, or is it more psychological? Yes, great question. So we had an anti-vibration material uh, in our baseball bat to Marucci, and we actually used that in our putter shaft. So, uh, to, so uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is our putter shaft. 
every putter shaft on the market, whether it's a bent neck, uh, L hosel, it doesn't matter what it is. Every putter shaft on the market right now has deflection in the head. So if you're outside eight to 10 feet, the, the putter head wiggles on contact. Um, you know, it's, it's wild to think that Tiger won 13, 14 majors with that Scotty Cameron with a steel shaft. Cause every time you strike the ball with that putter shaft, it with the head, the club head wiggles. Uh, it's, it's fractional, but it's enough to make you miss the putt. It's like three to five degrees sometimes. Um, so we built a shaft that is significantly stiffer than anything the tour has ever seen. But, but typically, if you go that much stiffer, it would make it heavier. But we actually made it lighter. Uh, typically, it would make it feel like a crowbar. Like it would, it would feel really hard. But we, we infused anti-vibration material all the way up through the shaft so to where it feels buttery soft. And you know, Ricky Fowler used it for one hour and put it in play the next day. Dustin Johnson used it for one hour and put it in play the next day and had the best putting day of his career. Um, so we really are um, excited about the putter shaft because, yeah, yeah, and that technology was a concept that came from Rushi. So when it when it comes to putting, who are the trailblazers on tour and who are the FOMO? So, so who's generally trying to get ahead of the game and who's got this fear of missing out and they're only doing it because he's doing it? You know, there's a lot of guys who are really technical uh, on, on, in terms of their grip and their putting stroke. But in terms of the equipment, there's really nobody on Bryson's level. Bryson, uh, a, a lot of the players will call, even players who will, uh, you know, may make a joke about him or, or make fun of him, you know, they, they'll call him for advice uh, because what they've been trying to figure out just with feel for years he actually does the mathematics on. And so he knows, you know, what, what kind of stroke and equipment, what happens from two four feet, four feet, six feet, eight feet, 10 feet. And so he really has created a mathematic formula. And now people can criticize that and say that, you know, that's the, that golf is both an art and a science. But if you think about it, Bryson didn't win his tournament. The tournaments he won in the last two years, he did not win because he was long off the tee. Almost mm -hmm. every tournament he won, he finished first in the field, strokes gained putting. In terms of shafts, Reid, um, where, where do you see the biggest opportunities, uh, both on tour, but also just for the the average golfer? So, where the biggest opportunities? Biggest opportunities uh, going forward, yeah, for improvement. I think, uh, first of all, um, even the average golfer that has a twenty one handicap can add you know significant amount of carry with our with our driver shaft so that's exciting uh, our driver shaft takes a little getting used to because you don't have to wait for the club head to load uh but one of the opportunities for people is is the iron shafts the wedges uh every single time you, you if you have a typical graphite iron shaft or a one of the standard stock iron shafts or a, a steel iron shaft every time you hit the ball the club face is getting delivered differently so if you hit 100 balls with your seven iron with a with a standard stock shaft that club face is getting delivered 100 different ways uh, with our with our with our shafts built from the midsection out they're incredibly stiff they're not any heavier and every single time the club face gets delivered the same well if you think about how much time and money that the that golfers spend trying to create a repeatable swing right you take lessons you practice on the range then you get out there to hit a seven iron and the club face is getting delivered different every single time because the shaft has so much deflection in it. So I think for the average golfer, even though I'm excited to add distance, you know, our, our, our motto is swing harder. I'm excited to add distance and make driver, the people feel more athletic with their driver. And I'm really excited for people to, to try the putter shaft because the first time you putt with it, you'll feel the difference. But, but I think the, the most surprising opportunity for the average golfer is the iron shaft. Uh, because it gets rid, it allows your club face to be more consistent, and that's really uh, a big deal. And are you finding the products are appealing with uh, a lot of the the younger guys who want to get out there and just muscle it, or or are you getting quite a 
quite or are you surprised at the number of i suppose older golfers or, or veteran golfers who are switching to it it's a little bit of both now i will say we talk to high school coaches and college coaches who will tell us that when Bryson drives the ball over the lake at Bay Hill or something like that. Every single player on their team will start testing a 48-inch shaft or start testing a new product. So I do think that the younger players, just like when Ricky Fowler started wearing orange and pink and all these ugly colors uh, on the AGJA Youth Tour, I think I read at one point that 70% of the Youth Tour were wearing Puma, right? Uh, so I do think Bryson will have a much bigger impact on the on the uh, on the up-and-coming guys. But you'd be surprised. You know, we just we just made shafts for. You know, Tommy Fleetwood, Jason Day, Gary Woodland, all in the last two weeks. Yeah, I saw Gary Woodland putting with your, your shaft over the weekend and he, um, he, he seemed to go okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so so where to from here? So from an LA golf point of view, where to from here, um, Ree? Where, like, obviously you're a man with grand plans uh, and you're not just going to make, well, maybe you are just going to make shafts and be really good at it. Um, but I don't reckon you are. You're, you're, no, you're right. We're, we're, listen, we use the, we, we've built the LA golf brand. Um, the shaft, we believe, and Nota Begay, again, on the Golf Channel, people always ask me if he's a shareholder. I'm like, no, he actually just likes the product. Uh, uh, I don't even know him. But he said the other day, there's no cop to our product. There's no peer. Our shaft is, is um, our, our shaft is demonstrably, you can look at third-party data. We have the best product on the market. So that's allowed us to form relationships with players that are very important. So that got us inside the ropes. Uh, it's also allowed us to build a brand on tour. But uh, obviously the broader vision is to take that LA Golf brand and those player relationships and buy cash flowing companies. Uh, we've looked at launch monitor companies. I, try, I actually tried to uh, make a run at buying TaylorMade, and then they, they decided to take it to auction. Uh, but we definitely are out. Uh, we're definitely out in the market looking for cash flowing companies to buy. What would you what would you say are the um, some of the bigger misconceptions around graphite shafts? Because out here uh, in Australia, there's still that there is that theory of you know oh, if you're using a graphite shaft, you're a slow swinger and all that sort of rubbish. Is that difficult to overcome? You know, you know, a couple of years ago, it seemed frustrating because guys like Nick Valgo, Valdo, right? I call them all the green jacket guys, right? They, <laughs> they get on television and because they've won major championships, they're allowed to say really outdated, stupid things and everybody just <laughs> nods their heads, right? Um, and so there was a while where it was frustrating, right? But now I think that this, this information renaissance and this data explosion we're having, people, people are under, starting to see this, you know, you can go to anyone's home you know, where you are and you can hit on their simulator and see that these graphite shafts are lighter, they're stiffer, and they're adding distance and decreasing dispersion. And I think the data speaks for itself. So, you know, I think there are an older group of guys, and I, I pick on Nick Faldo all the time because he criticized Bryson for using graphite shafts because he said they were too hot, which makes no sense at all because you can obviously adjust your distances. The reason why he switched to graphite shafts for his wedges was because they're more consistent with the club face delivery. So, so I, I think it'll it'll take a little bit of time, but no, it's a, it's a that's a that's a conversation we're excited to have. Now, now most importantly, and um, I think really just to finish off, if we ask you to sell us the game of golf, sell the listeners the game of golf, could you sell golf? Why golf? It, it's very difficult because I, I often say that golf golf needs to be faster, funner, and cheaper. Right? Um, it, it's a it's a one of my goals, and, and I know Nick, Fal I know um, 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 Greg Norman and Jack Nichols. Twenty years ago, were saying that you know public golf, municipal golf, needs to be twelve holes and it has to be have a bigger cup. And I agree with all of those things. Golf is too expensive. It takes five or six hours for the average person. 
uh, it's it's too expensive and it's really difficult. If you play by the rules, you know, if you if you play it down and putt it out and play by the rules, the average uh, golfer would probably shoot a that says they shoot a ninety would probably shoot a hundred and forty five, right? Uh, so I think golf uh, really needs to modernize the game, and I don't think I don't think that's about changing the equipment and the ball. Uh, I think it's about making the the, the rules a little more updated. Uh, I do think municipal golf needs to be either nine or 10 or 11 holes. I know Tiger and a few other people have built some shorter uh, courses with par three. So golf right now, if I were selling it, it's very difficult to sell to young people. It's like baseball, right? It's a five or six hour event. Um, and, and so you have to decide between watching paint dry uh, and, and, and playing you know, the sport. And I, I, I really think if I were going to sell golf, I would be selling it as it's, it's good for business. It's therapeutic. You get, you get outside, you get fresh air. It takes an incredible amount of mental discipline, and it's it's a character building. It's a it's a character building sport, and it's a character revealing sport. But I will, I don't think anyone ever say it's fun, right? Like that's not how you would sell it to the video game generation. So I do think there needs to be some drastic improvements in the culture and the rules of golf. Excellent, and and that sounds like a pretty good place to leave it, Phil. Thank you very much for joining us. Our special guest today. Reed Dickens from LA Golf. Reed, what would be uh, what's the best best place for people to see your find your stuff and and um, follow you? You know, they can go on Instagram. They can go to at, at LA Golf and uh, follow us on on there and uh, reach out to us if they have any questions. Uh, we we love talking about shafts. I look forward to gaining fifteen yards, Reed. Thanks for the offer. <laughs> And on that note, it's time to bring this Tenuous Links Golf Podcast to a close. Special thanks to today's guest, Reed Dickens from LA Golf for joining us. And don't forget to Series Link Golf Baron Season 2 on Fox Sports 503 or watch on demand on Foxtel and KO. Finally, sign up to Golf Barons at golfbarons.com and remember to add some swagger to your swing.